In November 2022, the World Health Organization renamed monkeypox to Mpox. This was in order to fight stigmatization surrounding the name. Combating shame and stigma surrounding Mpox is one of the primary goals of this series. As this was recorded prior to this change, this episode will feature references to the original name. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Monkeypox. We're talking about it because the people in power and the media, well, they're not. But we're filling in the silence, and we are not alone. Act on Monkeypox is the new campaign from the National AIDS Trust, Terence Higgins Trust, and Prepster, calling out the government, demanding more vaccines, accurate and reliable information, and for the government to designate a person to be responsible for this so that nobody is left behind. Monkeypox has been troubling for many queers here in the UK and in the US because, well, of the parallels to HIV. The legacy of AIDS stigma in the 80s still lives with us today. This current government has not released statements damning LGBTQIA plus people for monkeypox. But their silence? Well, that speaks volumes. And incidentally, this silence has had almost the same effect. But... 40 years on, we have come a long way. We've fought for policies which could end HIV by the end of the decade. There are so many lessons we could learn from HIV for monkeypox, even though they are very different viruses. So, what are they? And why are HIV charities leading the fight to work out just what the pox is going on? It is temporary. Above all else, that is what I remember that got me through it. We need to make sure that gay and bisexual men have access to the vaccine. What I'm seeing a lot in the media are quite stigmatizing messages. If people were always you know, doing exactly the right thing, then there'd be no STIs ever in the world. It does beg the question, if this was affecting heterosexual white people, maybe it wouldn't be in this situation potentially. It is the job of a sexual health doctor, of an infectious disease doctor, to give people the ability to have the type of sex that they like with as low a risk as possible of infectious disease. Welcome back to What the Pox, the podcast talking about monkeypox without shame or stigma, and looking at what this outbreak and response tells us about being LGBTQIA in the world today. So throughout this series, we have looked at the science, the complex issues surrounding shame, and of course, the lived experience of those who have been through monkeypox. But in truth, we shouldn't really have to make this resource. I mean, our community has come together to support each other and do what we can do to fix it, but 
without some sort of intervention from the government on this and so many other issues affecting our community, these problems won't get solved. So what has the response actually been? I do see parallels to the early AIDS response to what we're seeing around monkeypox. That's Susan Cole, who works for HIV information charity NAM AIDS Map, who also happens to be a woman living with HIV. We saw a lot of that, particularly around the early AIDS response, where there was a great deal of of negative messaging in the media. There were things like, I think it was The Sun article, where um, a a priest, uh, a vicar, talked about the fact that if his son had AIDS, he would shoot him. And there was messaging, like, like for instance, with the, um, the policeman in Manchester who talked about gay men swirling around in a, a cesspit of their own making in, relate, in relation to the, the AIDS response. And we're seeing elements of that in the wider media. But one thing that I would say is different, perhaps, is that There hasn't been so much interest in monkeypox recently in the wider media. And I think part of that is related to the fact that it it is primarily affecting uh, gay men and other men that have sex with men. And I think there isn't quite the same interest in, in the wider media. And we're not seeing that much in terms of public health messaging as well. We're not seeing that more widely. But we are seeing it a bit more, a little bit more directed, but we certainly need a lot more action. So before I had monkeypox, I had heard about it. There were lots of headlines announcing this is the next COVID. And there was quite a fever pitch for like a hot second, right? But then nothing. And it's this silence that is causing the problem. The lack of information has been really detrimental for a lot of people, particularly early um, in the response. You know, there, there was quite a lot of mixed messaging. And I think part of that stems from the fact that, you know, um, in, in terms of this current outbreak of monkey, you know, we need, it, it, it's fairly new. So we, we need more information, but it can have a really negative impact on people because they just don't really know what the symptoms are. Often the information is, is changing as well. So um, I, I I do think that it's so important for people to have clear, accurate and reliable information so they can make informed decisions about keeping themselves safe. This silence doesn't just impact those going through monkeypox, the ones like me that were trying to do their own research. Sure, getting information out there can take time and things take a while to get into the public domain. But what about healthcare professionals? Sexual health services are bearing the brunt of this outbreak. But when I tried to access more frontline health providers, when my case got a little worse and I developed an infection, they just didn't seem to have the information to deal with it. I think there's definitely parallels in relation to HIV here in terms of monkeypox. Like as someone living with HIV, when I get um, in, in terms of my treatment and care, it's always fantastic in relation to my HIV clinic. But when I go out and get care from GPs or more widely, their knowledge uh, about HIV is um, is much less. And I think that we're see- we're certainly seeing that in relation to monkeypox that outside of sexual health, um, doctors uh, aren't really up to date with the current information about it. 
The silence around this can be incredibly detrimental. But the use of the wrong language? That can be just as damaging. I think it's really important that we have, in terms of the language that we use, that it's very much person-centered and person-first. And that's something that we're seeing around HIV. You know, we don't want to use terms like someone like being HIV infected, but rather someone living with HIV. And I think it's the case in terms of monkeypox. So a person who has been, who has had monkeypox or a person who is currently has monkeypox that we, we put the person at the center and we shy away from stigmatizing language. And I think it's so important that in terms of anti-stigma responses, that it's intentional. I think that all communications uh, around monkeypox and around HIV, people need to be really conscious of everything that they say isn't stigmatizing. Stigmatizing language, and in this case, stigmatizing a specific community, it's really difficult. Because how do you address health crisis that is predominantly affecting one group of people without stigmatizing a whole community. We are talking, of course, about a condition which at the moment is so predominantly affecting gay and bisexual men. That's Matthew Hodson, the executive director of NAM AIDS Map. Within the current outbreak, and I need to stress that because, of course, it's monkeypox has been endemic in several African nations for, for, for many years. Um, and it hasn't been seen in those populations in those countries until fairly recently, or at least not particularly in those populations until fairly recently. It's inevitable, I think, that when you have, in this case, a viral infection, which is almost exclusively affecting gay and bisexual men, that there will be messaging that comes out there, which is pretty homophobic. Um, and I think, of course, we have to bear in mind that back in the 80s, uh, when HIV and AIDS first hit our communities, we didn't have social media. And so the number of voices which were raised were much more limited than they are now. And so I think it's very easy that we, it's very obvious that we're going to see a lot of that homophobic voice. At the same time, I think there are many people, particularly those of us, and I include myself within this, who were around for those 80s and early 90s years of HIV and AIDS before we had effective treatment. And we recognize some of the challenges and we remember what some of the solutions which we used in the past were. And I think that those are useful voices because I think there's a lot of lessons which we can learn, which we should learn from how we responded to HIV and AIDS in the early days, in which we can carry forward into how we respond to monkeypox. So how do we help those affected without stigmatizing? We recognize it's a virus. So when people talk about it as a gay disease, it's a virus for Christ's sakes. I mean, you know, it doesn't have judgment. It doesn't have motivations. All it needs to do is survive and it will do whatever it can to survive. It doesn't care if its host is gay or straight or, or a unicorn. Um, so talking about a, a disease as a gay disease is really unhelpful. At the same time, I think we have to recognize who's the priority audience for information, who's the priority audience in, at the moment for, for vaccination. Um, and if we don't recognize that this is predominantly affecting gay and bisexual men, then the people who most need information, the people who most need to be aware of what the symptoms are, what to do if they've got symptoms, or how to avoid uh, acquiring monkeypox, need to be best informed. 
And so I think that's a really important lesson. And I recognize it's threading a needle here between trying not to increase the homophobic reporting whilst also acknowledging that one a particular group in society, predominantly gay and bisexual men at the moment, are being affected by this virus. The homophobic language that I came across when I was searching online, it's hard to ignore that it's incredibly similar to the language we heard around HIV in the past. And these sentiments can come across even when someone is asking a question that they feel does not have this undertone. I mean, we've moved on a lot, but it's still, I think, one of the most pervasive forms of stigma that that we experience. For me, as a a woman living with HIV, so often people say things like, oh, so how did you get it? It's like, I mean, like, like, uh, like, and so you don't say that to someone with like diabetes or something like that. And I, I think it's very much the case with HIV and and to an extent with with monkeypox that it's a, so like HIV is sexually transmitted, and we're seeing more cases uh, around monkeypox in terms of it being linked to sexual behaviour. That there's so much more stigma and judgment in in relation to that, and I think that that just really increases the stigma and the, the shame that someone uh, may experience. And we know that. That, that stigma and shame can have a really negative effect on, on, on behaviour and it just makes the, the messaging so much less effective. So, for instance, with we know that in relation to HIV, that, that stigma prevents people from coming forward for getting tested in terms of staying engaged with care, taking their medication. And that's, that's one of my concerns around monkeypox at the moment, that we may start to see that as well. Someone who has dealt with his fair share of negativity is Harun Tilunai, a sexual health advocate and training coordinator for Positively UK. His experience of monkeypox made worldwide headlines because it was pretty severe. I call those people keyboard cavaliers that, you know, very useless people, but they are heroes behind their uh, keyboards and devices. They took this lack of information and they just somehow managed to turn it into chaos and then boom, drop it onto the other people and start attacking other people, start find blaming other people. So sexual health clinics starting to test for a condition immediately gave those people, and also obviously spread is mainly in gay, bisexual and MSM community. It immediately gave those people, boom, this is a gay disease. It is being tested in the sexual health clinic. This is gays being promiscuous. This is gays not looking after themselves, you know, or blaming sex and bringing all those taboos into the situation. And this blame is making it really difficult to share the facts. It constantly saying that this is not a sexually transmitted condition, which is a fact you can check on World Health Organization website. It is just now sex is one of the transmission routes, but it doesn't make it an STI. But people don't know and they love blaming it on sex. And this is causing more stigma than ever. This happened 40 years ago with HIV, right? It was gay-related illness. They named it gay-related illness. And now the same journey is happening in here. I am feeling like all my advocates and activist icons like from 40 years ago gone through the same journey we are going right now with monkeypox, you know? It is very, very related to each other. But within those homophobic voices, there have been so many wonderful ones. 
to this day, I don't think I would have got through my experience with monkeypox without the amazing words shared by my community online. The social media wasn't around in the 80s, and so obviously that does have a big impact on the conversation. But it also creates opportunities. As you say, you, you, you came across friends who were posting about where the vaccine was available. You know, and that's one of the great ways we can use social media to get information out very quickly. The other big difference is that, you know, back in the 80s, um, even before HIV and AIDS happened, the general public was generally hostile towards LGBTQ plus people. Things have changed and obviously they haven't shifted as much as we would like them to. But now the general public is generally supportive of LGBTQ plus people. And the number of people who identify as LGBTQ plus has increased enormously since the 80s. And I think that's obviously a large part as a result of greater social acceptance. So that changes the narrative from it being back in the 80s, a very small group of people who were incredibly marginalized by society saying, no, our lives are valid, our lives are important, to now a substantially, significantly larger group of people saying, our lives are valid, our lives are important, our health needs must be attended to, and probably finding a more fertile, more supportive ground for that assertion than they ever did in the 1980s. When you work to change stigmatizing language, like has been done since the 1980s around HIV, you can then change the response when dealing with an outbreak like this. So with so much progress being made within messaging surrounding HIV, what does the future hold for it? And what lessons can we learn to change the current messaging surrounding monkeypox? That's after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, so we've known about monkeypox since the 1970s. But to be honest, we haven't really done a lot of research. However, over the same time period, there has been incredible growth in knowledge and treatments about HIV. Here's Susan Cole. Think back to the time of It's a Sin. HIV has moved on. The progress has been phenomenal in terms of treatment and care. Someone with access to HIV treatment and is on effective treatment, it's impossible to pass HIV onto their sexual partners. And that's absolutely um, phenomenal. It's also possible for, for women um, living with HIV now to have children born free of HIV. I've got four kids, two before HIV, two after, and they're all they're all HIV negative. So that it's fantastic in terms of the progress, but stigma continues to blight the lives of people living with HIV globally. And we also need to remember the fact that not everyone globally has access to treatment. Last year, 700,000 people died from AIDS-related causes. And that's 
absolutely unacceptable. All those deaths are preventable as long as people have access to treatment. So we need to remember that. We are making progress, but there are still these glaring inequalities. And these are still impacting people's access to care, even here in the UK. Um, There's certainly examples of health inequalities being driven by racism uh, around HIV, particularly in relation, if we even between countries and also within them, even within the UK. Recent research by Dr. Rageshri Dariwan and colleagues in East London found that people from black communities living with HIV were uh, more likely to be uh, diagnosed late, were less likely to stay engaged with care and, and certainly have much worse outcomes. And the people that I speak with living with HIV so often say to me that their experiences of racism in healthcare settings makes them less likely to want to come forward. Very often, um, as, as a black woman living with HIV, when we speak about our pain or our symptoms, we're frequently not believed, our concerns are dismissed, and we're seeing that across the world in, in relation to health inequalities. Until we discuss racism um, and, and call it out, we're not gonna be able to fix it. So I think it's really important that systemic racism is, is included in discussions around health. These inequalities are just so glaringly obvious and feel even more unjust when we have the treatment available. If you have secure access to HIV treatment, you should expect to live a long, healthy, I really hope happy life. Matthew Hodson. And we really need to celebrate the fact that HIV treatment prevents onward transmission. That If you are on effective treatment for HIV, you cannot pass it on to your sexual partners. That is wonderful news. It's stigma bashing news. It also is a really powerful call to ensure that all people, wherever they live in the world, whatever their income, have access to treatment, which not only will save their lives, but will also end the epidemic. So with effective treatment, the future of HIV is starting to look a lot more optimistic. There are exciting developments, possibly around how we may create better prevention, better vaccines possibly, long-acting injectable PrEP, better treatment. We have the potential that we could end the epidemic within the next seven years. We might do that if enough resources put into it. But I think we have warnings from history. We have warnings now that almost a quarter of a century after effective treatment was you know, established, we still have about one in four people globally not having access to treatment. We can't achieve this unless we work to treat every person living with HIV. So with all these new medications available and the fact that those on effective treatment have an undetectable status, what does this mean for those living with HIV when they have monkeypox? Here's Haran. I was diagnosed with HIV in 2016 and started on treatment and became undetectable, which my viral load is basically zero in my blood and I can't pass it on to someone else. And my body is obviously a bounce back from it 
and my immune system is um, very, very much healthy right now. So there is not, there's no data that shows that there is a direct relationship with monkeypox and HIV, but still, um, if you have any kind of immunosuppressive condition, um, you know, it is important to get your medication, your, you make sure that your HIV is under control, and um, um, it is understandable that those people are being prioritized in the vaccination, but that doesn't mean that just because you are living with HIV, you're going to have it severe. I have many people living with HIV, that I know many people living with HIV, had monkeypox, had it much milder than I had it. They even didn't even realize, you know, they isolated themselves with only a couple of blisters. So it doesn't mean that you will have it severe. Um, there are two different conditions. At this, at this point, we don't have a data that's showing a direct relationship. Let's put it that way. Stories like Haran's are so vital to change the narrative and to inform others. But like I keep saying, we shouldn't have to be getting our information from each other. We need support from the top, but what does that actually mean? There's lots of buttons we need to push. There's lots of changes we need to, to make. We need to ensure that as many suppliers, as many factories have access to the recipe for the vaccine so we can increase supply. We need to really look at costing of, that, of, of the vaccine so that our brothers and sisters in African nations have access to the vaccine as much as our brothers and sisters in the UK and the US and across Europe and Australia have access to the vaccine. Um, and I don't have easy answers. I wish I did. But you know, I, th I think we need to talk very seriously about health equity. And that's health equity on a global basis. But there's also health equity even within the UK. And fundamentally, we need information. I think that the big lesson which I took from what's effective in HIV and AIDS, HIV prevention, HIV support, and obviously now preventing AIDS at all, because we have the treatment which can prevent AIDS, is make sure that what you do with your messaging is that you inform, you equip, and you empower. So with monkeypox, obviously the information that's needed is, well, what are the symptoms? How do I avoid? infection. If I have it, how do I avoid transmission? How do I look after myself if I have it? Some of this information, there are significant gaps in our knowledge at the moment. But when we have that information, we should share it. This is, there should not be gatekeeping from people who work in public health or people who work in medicine to kind of, you know, oh, well, we'll just give people that little piece of information. If we have information, we should share it. The second thing is make sure that people are equipped. So here in this situation, we have a vaccination which is available to equip people with information about how to get the vaccine, but also encourage them to have the vaccine, make sure that there are supply, sufficient supplies of the vaccine so that everyone who will benefit from the vaccine is able to access it. Equipping people also means supporting people in their prevention efforts. So if we're going to tell people that they need to isolate for two weeks, how are they going to be able to earn a living? How are they going to be able to put food on their table? That's a really important part of equipping people. And then thirdly, it's empowering people. Now, you can empower people in lots of ways, but there are lots of ways where you can disempower people. And you disempower people by judging them, by imposing morality on their behaviors, by telling them what to do rather than listening to what they need to do. One of the 
things which used to frustrate the hell out of me in the 1980s and early 90s was these advertising campaigns which talked about gay sex as clearly they were written by someone who had never had gay sex. It didn't relate to me or the sex that I was having or the sex that I wanted to have. And so it didn't speak to me and it wasn't effective. You have to empower people. You have to ensure that people can make the right decisions for their own health and the health of their communities. And you do that by giving them strength, by saying that their feelings, their, 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 their desires are valid. If you've listened to this episode and really want to get involved in making a change, well, there is something you can do. You can join me and many other people in writing a letter to your local MP as part of the Act on Monkeypox campaign from the National AIDS Trust. All you need to do is head to the show notes and click the link. With thanks to today's voices, Susan Cole, Harun Talunai, and Matthew Hodson. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Martin Joseph, and executive produced by Jamie Wareham. What the Pox is a Queer AF production. Queer AF is helping me to create this show because the rest of the media has moved on. Well, we haven't. We know how much pain people are still in and the stigma that they're facing. We need your help to get the word out and to make this show possible. Visit wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox to find out how you can give the price of a coffee just £3 a month to help us make this show a reality. We've already seen how it's helping listeners see that this outbreak isn't over, but we need your help to put it in front of more people. Visit wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox to support the show and help end the silence. We are Queer AF, and so are you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 